Welcome to the Cutting Edge Health Preventing Cognitive Decline podcast. I'm Jane Rogers. Welcome back. Dr. Paulo Cassano is our guest today. He's an expert in photobiomodulation, a revolutionary intervention to treat and to prevent brain disorders like dementia. Dr. Cassano is the director of photobiomodulation at Massachusetts General Hospital, and he's also an assistant professor of psychiatry at Harvard. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Paulo, thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure. I'm so excited to talk to you because this audience badly wants to prevent cognitive decline, and who doesn't? But there are many different ways to go about doing it. And your research that you've done with Harvard and Massachusetts General Hospital as director of photobiomodulation there is really exciting for the future. So first of all, we're going to jump deep into it and do a deep dive into it. But first of all, I want to hear why. Why did you get involved in this? What's your backstory? You could have done, you've got an MD and a PhD. You could have gone in many different directions. Thank you, Jane. It's interesting you asked the question. You know, funny enough, I thought at some point I got in this story, in this path for serendipitous reasons. So my interest was actually in international psychiatry. I was interested in cross-cultural issues. I worked for 10 years in the community. You know, at some point I knew that my patients didn't like what I had to offer. It was medications and really didn't like to more pills. So I was part of the depression program and I'm still to this day. And we were interested in brain metabolism. So when you are depressed, your brain metabolism changes. And when you are treated for depression, your brain metabolism improves. So talking with some coworkers, there was this new treatment that they were using for stroke, which was light, transcranial light. And I really didn't know anything about it. And we're talking about 15 years ago. And it wasn't so popular back then. So it was like, do you want to try it? But okay, well, it seems like this might be something that my patients might like better than the pills. They, they know they don't want that. So let's try this one. So we embarked in this research. And before I knew it, that became the main topic of research. At some point, it was so obvious that I was doing research on devices. And, and that was the primary topic of my investigation that people said, okay, well, do you really belong here? Shouldn't you be in neuropsychiatry? And so that's how I said, okay, well, if you think so. And then, so I move into neuropsychiatry <laughs> and then all these other opportunities open up. And so we became studying Down syndrome and language. We, we started studying, you know, Alzheimer's disease, whether it's in mild cognitive impairment or mild dementia. It, it kept growing. So exciting. And you, it really is. I can tell you love to learn, don't you? Yes, yes. Yeah, I can tell. Yeah. That's, that's the basis. A, that's, that's life. So tell me about transcranial photobiomodulation. That's what you're working on now with your latest research project. And first of all, tell folks what that is. Right. So if you look at the semantics, it's really transcranial. So it's across your head, across your skull. But the good news is that for those who are already getting scared here, there's no surgery. It's not invasive. We're not putting anything physically. It's really the photon 
the the light, like in photo, it, that gets across. So you're shedding the light over the head, gets across the skull, the, the different layer, the meningeal layers, gets to the brain. And, and then it gets to the last part, modulation. It has an impact in stimulating brain function. So in other ways, it is a modality to get the brain to jumpstart. And you do this with a certain wavelength, right? You can't just shine a flashlight up there and have it work. Right, exactly. So here is the point that our tissues, uh, as humans, as animals, let's face it, we're also animals, uh, we, we absorb light. We make something out of light. We thought that plants were the ones uh, that were supposed to make something out of light through the photosynthesis, get energy from the sun and bring it to the earth. And then the chain started for, for the energy transfer. But it turns out that in a very elemental way, we also absorb light and it's all sort of radiation, also visible light. However, we absorb more light that penetrates better. And so there is a specific wavelength or a range of wavelengths that are infrared. And we're not talking about the heat waves we're all familiar with, with infrared sauna. And mm-hmm. you know, that's not what I'm talking about. There are some infrared light that is close to the visible. And that's why we call it near infrared, just because it's so close to the visible wavelengths that is really optimal for this type of modulation of brain function. So tell me about your aha moment when you realized, oh my gosh, this is going to work. If we use this <laughs> if we use this near infrared light and we shine it whereabouts on the brain. And then you saw things happening like the mitochondria perked up for people who had the cytochrome oxidase mitochondrial deficiency. You saw it helping. What was your aha moment? Yes. So it- It's interesting, again, uh, what you're asking here, because uh, at the very root, uh, I am a clinician. I am a clinician, and uh, my research has been very much uh, clinical research. And so, in fact, my very first studies where we looked at photobiomodulation for depression or photobiomodulation for anxiety were primarily clinical studies. And then uh, we realized, uh, wait a minute, we just need to understand more because, yes, we know the, all the biology here. We know what's happening at the culture level. Which we know what's happening at the kind of animal models. But is that the same when you shed it in the brain? There's a little bit of a difference in size in between uh, your average mouse brain and your average yeah. human brain. So can't really make a lot of assumption here. So... My high moment was actually very much clinical. In that depression study, we had people coming back after a couple of weeks and they were feeling much better. And it was fast, it was quick, pretty substantial. And also they were feeling better in ways that we didn't quite expect based on our experience with antidepressants. For instance, their sexual dysfunction was gone. And with antidepressants, that's something that you rarely improve and sometimes you worsen. So it was like, excellent. oh, this is is real. Something is happening. So there's so much I want to unpack in this. So you put the wavelengths on the brain for someone struggling with cognitive decline. And you are seeing mitochondria better enabled by this light therapy. You're thinking, 
right? Right, right. So this is complicated. I'll uh, do my best to make it Thank you. simple. But uh, as a group of scientists, clinicians, we're also trying to wrap our head around this. Because for a long time, the primary mechanism that has been postulated and then found in, uh, in animal models and in culture was, in fact, the engagement of mitochondria. So to make it short, mitochondria are the energy powerhouse of the cell. Within the mitochondria, you have these final steps of the metabolism of all energy products, uh, which is the respiratory chain that happens on the membrane of the mitochondria. And it turns out that the light kind of shunts and gets to the very end step of this respiratory chain and brings energy there. So in a sense, you don't need to get all your food across that metabolic chain. You can energize the final step and get this high energy molecule ready to be used by the cell, which are called ATP. It's very exciting because I've been told that my family's problem, both my parents passed with Alzheimer's. I've been told my family's problem is mitochondrial insufficiency. And what you're saying is that there is mm -hmm. a chance that light can help that problem area in there. Yes, yes, there's no question about that. That has been demonstrated in animal models, in cultures. Interestingly, even in humans, the study that have been done by the University of Texas have shown that you can change that photoacceptor, which is called cytochrome C oxidase, that's the last step of the respiratory chain, and you change the, the redox state. So you can actually activate or, or change the status of that photoacceptor even in humans. So that's very telling. We are now conducting a study at MGH looking specifically with MRS or magnetic resonance spectroscopy based on phosphorus, specifically to look at mitochondria after a course of treatment of eight weeks. Mm -hmm. And that's, in fact, our Alzheimer's study to see if, in fact, mitochondria are boosted in terms of her own mm -hmm. metabolism. Mm -hmm. So that will really answer your question. So that study at Massachusetts General Hospital involves using photobiomodulation for three times a week for eight weeks, right? That is correct. Okay. When are you going to have those results? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a question that our participants always ask. And, you know, when am I going to know if I got the sham or I got the real thing? Yeah. And, you know, when is this going to be available? Well, in terms of the results, it will take another two to three years, probably two years to conclude a recruitment and finish up, wrap up with all mm -hmm. our participants, and then one more year to clean the data, analyze, and, and present. Mm -hmm. Is there anything, Paulo, that we can do now? I know that you've taken a device and you've, you've changed it for this study. Did you change it a lot? Or can people get that device today and maybe start working with this? Alzheimer's can come on so quickly. And well, it, no, it doesn't. It works over years. But all of a sudden, these changes happen. And some people get motivated. Mm -hmm. And they're going to sit here and say, oh, we don't want to wait three or four years for this result. Right. Is there anything we can do today? Yes. First of all, I would say the science moves slowly. There's mm -hmm. no question about that. However, 
industry moves fast. And a lot of these devices, because they are considered non-significant risk by the FDA, mm-hmm. and some also receive some uh, specific designations that are not necessarily approval. Mm-hmm. Approval by the FDA means that there is an indication there that FDA recognizes that this device can be prescribed legitimately for a certain uh, disorder or condition. Even though this threshold has not been achieved, the FDA has given uh, to some of these devices uh, a wellness categorization Mm -hmm. and have considered these devices as uh, breakthroughs, so what we call breakthrough designation. So they've seen potential on these devices. What that means is that the industry is putting out these devices Mm -hmm. for wellness that can be consider as an adjunct to uh, what is a standard treatment mm-hmm. or also could be used by people and could actually be bought over the counter if people wanted to try them out. Now, I'm not suggesting that. I'm saying that that's possible. Possible. Mm-hmm. What you should be doing, it's a kind of a bigger discussion and we can certainly go into that. The downsides of jumping into this technology before your results are ready. Pretty low, minimal downside. You don't want to hurt yourself by jumping in too early to this technology, but you're not seeing that it is causing that problem? Right. So this technology is extremely safe. The only aspect that we really need to be mindful about is that if you're using a laser device, Mm -hmm. that requires specific protections. because you don't want to risk uh, an injury of the retina of your eyes. Mm-hmm. So, and that is uh, obtained by simply using goggles or glasses that have specific lenses uh, that filter out that light. Mm-hmm. And those come uh, with the device and the manufacturer would provide those. But the devices that are actually available over the counter are typically LED devices, and they're typically low power, which means that they typically don't have that type of risk. So if you are going to buy a device, you should know whether you need to protect your eyes Mm -hmm. or not. And so that's a clear and very important aspect. Beyond that, the only risks that you can encounter that we have seen are risk related to overexposure to light. You know, when you go in the summer, you don't put your your sunscreen, you can get sunburn. And with a device, you feel excessive warming, you take it off. And in most of the cases, what we really see is a little redness, a little gentle warming. And those are pleasant. They, They stay there for 10, 15, 20 minutes, maybe after the the treatment, and then they go mm-hmm. away. And that's all what we're noticing. Mm-hmm. Rare cases, people might have that night or the first treatment, some difficulty falling asleep. In rare cases, people might feel a little irritable after the first mm-hmm. treatment. Sometimes it, that might be a sign to kind of lower the dose. Does it concern you that the devices that we can get now are LED and not laser? Are LEDs going to get through the cranium like a laser device? Right, right. So, again, that's uh, very much uh, debated in the field as well. What really matters is the wavelength and the light intensity. So if you reach a certain light intensity and overall power, 
you should have a similar penetration with a laser and LED. However, we're not quite sure in terms of efficacy if having a laser light, so basically you are, you're having all your photons oscillating, if you imagine all these little waves, in mm -hmm. sync. If that really makes a difference as opposed to scatter photons that are kind of not uh, organized, if you wish. Mm -hmm. So the LEDs are the not organized ones. That is correct. They're a little more scattered. Okay. And the specific wavelength that you've seen efficacy, is it 800 to 1200 nanometers of near-infrared? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So this is kind of uh, also a bit complicated. Uh, and when I say a bit complicated, not, I'm not saying for the, our audience, but it's complicated for us. <laughs> <laughs> then it will be for us too. <laughs> we find ourselves having a lot of firm beliefs and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, that probably wasn't quite true. And for instance, uh, we know that from a cellular level, red light is uh, the type of light uh, that is more effective uh, mm -hmm. in uh, inducing cellular changes. So we're talking about 630 to mm. 670. So that wavelength is very promising, but we also knew that red light doesn't really penetrate much, right? I was just saying that mm. we would rather be in infrared below the red in order to have better penetration. Mm -hmm. Well, we were thinking, okay, well, of course it's not going to work as well because it doesn't penetrate as well. However, we have groups in Australia and China that actually have looked at the effect in Australia, specifically the effect of red light for Parkinson, mm -hmm. in China for cognition in general. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, they have found that they could, in fact, obtain a similar procognitive effects with red light to, to near-infrared light, and sometimes even better. So that's really puzzling. But so far, because the assumption was that the infrared light was going to be better, penetrating better, most of the research has actually been done in that range, around 808, 810 nanometers. That's also kind of a magic spot because uh, not only we know that there is more penetration, and when I talk about penetration, the, the issue here is that we have a lot of the so-called chromophores. So, so there are molecules, uh, proteins that absorb light in our skin, in our blood, um, in our muscles. Mm -hmm. Those are melanin, hemoglobin, myoglobin, and so kind of those shield the light. And uh, that's why we're trying to get the, through mm -hmm. those wavelengths that are less likely to be affected. So that spot has magic because it is uh, very good in terms of penetration. And it's also an ideal wavelength for the absorption by the cytochrome C oxidase. So that's why a lot of research has been conducted around that wavelength mm -hmm. uh, with encouraging results. And also our laser is around uh, 808, 810 nanometers for our research study in Alzheimer. This being said, some research, especially in healthy subjects actually, and some also in Alzheimer, has been conducted around 1050 nanometer and 1064. And you might wonder why you know, this kind of bump in between uh, the water start absorbing 
much light. And as you might know, we're mostly made of water, mm -hmm. so that could be a problem. Some people think it's a good thing, actually, that water absorbs uh, light, and that might have something to do with also the mechanisms of and the benefits of light. But beyond that, uh, that's why 1050, 1064 has been also chosen. Very promising, at least in healthy subjects, for the procognitive effect, uh, you might say for brain hacking, for performance. So those are also very studied and good wavelengths. So I know you don't want to recommend a device that we can buy now <laughs> because that would put you out on a limb that maybe you don't want to go. But could you talk about some of the different brands that you are aware of? I know that, is it V-Lite? Vilite is one of them. Yep, V-Lite is one. Mm -hmm, and that's one that I have. And it's interesting because there was concern about that light getting through the cranium, but they have a nose piece that is used. What's the mm -hmm. efficacy of the nose piece? I, I love this question. Uh, so this is something we have been working quite a bit on. At some point, we we're thinking, okay, well, can we stick something into the nose uh, deep enough uh, to get uh, really close to the base of the skull? And it's so exciting because... Uh, Right at the base of the skull, on the ceiling of the nose, there is the olfactory bulb. And the olfactory bulb is connected to our most primitive sense. When we smell things, that has a lot of emotional impact. And so it's connected to our amygdala, it's connected to our hippocampus. So can we go really close? And then we realize we can't. And the reason we can't is that because the space in our nose, it's like a millimeter thin, and it's really hard to go that in depth. And, and the other problem is that our nose, there's a lot of blood in our nose, and it's really hard to pass that mm -hmm. just because of mm -hmm. all of those chromophores. Mm -hmm. So... Bottom line, at the end, when you shed light in your nose, you're really shedding light in your nose. It's not getting to your brain. And okay. however, that's not what I need. However, mm -mm. it could still be effective. And the reason why is because we're more and more aware of the so-called systemic effects of shedding the light. So the mitochondria are, are filling our bloodstream. As a matter of fact, mitochondria are also free-floating in the blood and circulating. So it's very much possible that you are energizing your bloodstream, and that has systemic effects that might also benefit the brain. Oh, good. Encouraging. So what's a device that I can turn to if I don't want to wait until the end of your study? Or what are several that I might consider, especially if they're laser, right. not LED? Okay, well, I will say that uh, the field is changing really rapidly. Okay. And in less than a year, my expectation is that there would be clinics, med spa, or at your average physical therapy shop, possibly, I believe, within nursing homes or independent living devices that are meant to help with improving performance and offsetting some myoconia impairment will be available. And providers that are trained, skilled, 
and have a support mm -hmm. system with consultation will be available. That's from my perception of the field, mm -hmm. also working with industry and uh, understanding how these companies that so far have just put their devices in the market uh, as wellness devices, uh, I see how the field and these companies are transitioning, creating a support system and a really structure out there for people to access safely. So excellent. I know this is a, a big uh, introduction here. What I want to say to you and, and to all our listeners is that uh, I believe that within one year, you're not going to be alone searching for these solutions. In my little experience, uh, I have experienced uh, how that feels. I am a, a researcher, I'm a clinician, I know all this because it's my field of studies. And yet when it came to helping my father, who is suffering from mild cognitive impairment from Alzheimer's disease, and helping him to access mm -hmm. this treatment, I did face some of the questions you, you're asking me. So what's going to be the device? How are we going to use it? And who is going to help him? So it's, it's a tough spot to be in because unfortunately the, the medical establishment has not yet adopted these treatments and, and for good reasons because they have not reached approval. And so it is a tough spot. Paulo, I'm sorry that you're struggling with this with your dad. Yeah. What a hard situation you're in because you can see something that will help him. But am I right in saying you don't have access to it to say, Dad, come on over three times a week to my living room and we're going to do this. Right, right. You're correct. Uh, we actually have tried to uh, have him access uh, a laser treatment. He's in Italy mm -hmm. over there. However, as I was just saying, the medical field, the medical community is not ready, is not ready yet for this. So in the positive side the LED devices are already available mm -hmm. to the community of people that want to prevent mm -hmm. and want to improve their performance or, or maybe treat their first signs. Mm -hmm. So that's the good news. And again, the other good news is that the industry is uh, now organizing itself to bring that support mm -hmm. and really train uh, providers, Good. licensed providers mm -hmm. in the States uh, for, for this purpose. So what are some companies that we should watch for in the next year? Who's surging ahead and getting excited about what you're doing? That's really a hard question. I don't know if I can name names. What I will say is that, generally speaking, I can give some guidelines here. Okay. Watch out, because it doesn't cost too much to produce these devices. However, a reputable company will market these devices for a certain price range, which most likely will be in the 1000 ballpark. Okay give or take, and probably more if there are additional features, if there are many LEDs or mm -hmm. if there are many options in terms of treatment and variation of parameters. Mm -hmm. So you want a company that market their device in that price range. And I'll tell you why, because 
ensuring that your product is in fact delivering the light that you want mm -hmm. is not trivial it takes uh, a lot of quality assurance and mm -hmm. uh, it takes a lot of intermediate steps a lot of rigor and so a company that has a track record has been in the field a company that is not just putting out devices uh, there and try to win the price battle mm -hmm. is a company that will eventually give you treatment device, uh, treatment in quote, because mm -hmm. uh, as you know, there's no indication yet, as opposed to kind of a sham or feel good device. Good advice. Yeah. You're excited about the future of this, aren't you? I am very excited. I am mm -hmm. very excited. I think we are at a pivotal time. You know, there was a time in neuropsychiatry when uh, medications became available that were mm -hmm. easily accessible, well-tolerated, safe. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, because of those medications like the SSRIs, uh, primary care felt comfortable and started prescribing them and mm -hmm. prescribing for depression, for anxiety disorders, for agitation or even insomnia or many conditions. And all of a mm -hmm. sudden, we saw this, this interventions out there and mm -hmm. people started feeling better. Yet, when you consider many of these neuropsychiatric disorders, only one quarter of people that have the conditions actually receive the treatment, mm -hmm. the, the medication. And yeah. we know that psychotherapy is great, mm -hmm. is demonstrated, mm -hmm. effective, but it's uh, quite expensive, uh, it's time-consuming, it's difficult mm -hmm. to find providers many times that mm -hmm. are really skilled and trained uh, in evidence-based psychotherapies. So now with device-based interventions, uh, we're getting an entirely new field opening up where people can get this treatment at home. And uh, it, it's huge. It's, it, for me, it's another shift that will bring much excitement and much help. I will say also that what is very exciting, and I alluded to that before, is that devices can produce effects that medications have not been yeah. so helpful with. So the procognitive effects are very few medications like stimulants can have some procognitive effects, mm -hmm. and most don't. So there is there a lot of opportunity altogether. You're kind of talking right to me because I have a son, an adult son, who's really struggling with depression and he needs help. And the medications aren't really the answer for him. He's tried that for many years. And so what you're proposing, what you see out there as another way with a device to help a whole group of people in this country, especially after COVID and all we're struggling with after COVID mentally, this is very exciting. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Yeah, no, absolutely. You're not alone. Uh, in my family, there's been a, a, quite a history of depression as well. Mm -hmm. And I know that medications have been very helpful and I don't want mm -hmm. people to be discouraged and they should still look at readily available treatments yes. that are FDA approved. And uh, we cannot stop there. We need mm -hmm. to find other treatments because uh, people cannot receive a treatment and feel better in terms of depression, but then have 
a bunch of side effects uh, that will also affect their life. So we need to do more. Paulo Cassano, thank you. Thank you so much for the time that you've spent and the energy you're putting into this to help people be better as we move forward. Thank you. Thank you, Jane. It yeah. was a pleasure. Thank you for having Thank me. You. Feelings mutual. Have a great day. Thank you. You've been listening to the Cutting Edge Health Preventing Cognitive Decline podcast. Any information shared here is for educational purposes only. Guest opinions are their own. This podcast is not responsible for the veracity of their statements. Do not use any of this information without first talking to your doctor. Cutting Edge Health, LLC, is not responsible for what may happen to you if you use their information in place of official advice from a medical professional. Thanks for listening. Be well.